0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of AUHSD Future Talks. I'm your host, Superintendent Michael Matsuda, and uh, we are so very excited to have a really uh, special guest with us, Neil Sahota. Uh, Neil uh, Neil is an expert, a national and world-renowned expert in artificial intelligence. He is also working with the Anaheim Union High School District Kennedy High School on their artificial intelligence pathway, which you're going to hear more about. But Neil, you want to say a quick hi to our audience?
1: Hey, hello, everybody. I'm really excited to be here. And Mike, thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, absolutely. So um,
1: I'm going to to give you a little
0: bit of a background on Neil. He is an IBM master inventor. So he's uh, had a long affiliation with IBM. He's a United Nations artificial intelligence expert and um, he's currently on the faculty of the University of California Irvine and, and our partnership of course with <clears throat> through the Anaheim Pledge and partnership with Ana, uh, with UCI has been vital to uh, bringing Neil to the Anaheim Union High School District so I want to put a shout out to the UCI folks there but you know Neil is also an author of a best-selling book called Own the AI Revolution unlocking your artificial intelligence and a strategy to disrupt your competition. So an amazing book, an amazing read. I'm just gonna read the first opening paragraph to get you excited about this. He writes, are you prepared for the digital earthquake, tornado, hurricane and tsunami all wrapped into one that's about to engulf our world? If you've read the headlines, you know, that artificial intelligence threatens to disrupt every domain of human existence. So how can you forecast the stratospheric possibilities and endless opportunities? How can you mitigate the risks? More importantly, how can you avoid the unintended avalanche of consequences accelerated by AI? It's just possible this big, you might be thinking. Not so, says Neil Sohota. So that's our segue into our discussion about owning the artificial intelligence revolution. So Neil, I'm gonna open with that big question. How do we own it? And what does this all mean for us going forward?
1: Uh, it's a great question. Cause I know that for a lot of people they think this is the realm of really smart technologists. And I will tell you that AI is a different form of computing that we're used to. And the people that have been the most successful with it are the ones that know their domain space, know their business or their industry. And they, they may know some technology or none at all, but they they partner with some of these folks. So from legal tech to sports, to to movies, to art, you name it, it's all about actually understanding the problems and the space we're in. So that's how we, we all have an opportunity to actually use AI, even if we're not a data scientist or programmer.
0: How do, how do you um, define AI, Neil?
1: Good question, Mike, because it seems to be quite a variable definition out there. Um, so AI, and I'm proud to say the UN has adopted this definition, really centers around three core components. That's that it has the ability of machine learning. so we don't program it, we don't give it a bunch of algorithms, we give it rules on how to make decisions, which you call the ground truth, and we give it lots of data to study. And so it, like we do, it learns through experimentation, observation and trying things, and of course, human teachers. Second, it has the ability to actually understand natural language. Think about how we use speak like idiom, slang, jargon. Like if I say I'm feeling blue, most people know what I'm talking about, but for a computer it is like, Neil's physically the color blue somehow. It doesn't really make sense. So the AI will actually take contextual understanding. So it actually understands like slang. And the third is has the ability to interact like it's another person. So you can try this at home. If you type into Google, show me restaurants near me, but not pizza, Guess what? You get a lot of pizza places because it sees the keyword pizza. But AI is, again, it's looking for intent, says, I get it, you want something nearby, but not pizza restaurants, right? And AI has the ability to actually communicate back and ask questions and say, well, how far are you willing to drive or how much money are you willing to spend? So it can actually seek more information to give you the best possible answer. It's really these three key things that enable AI and more importantly, allow it to try and figure out answers to questions we don't know the answer to.
0: You know, I've heard you speak a handful of times now, and thank you again to uh, your work with our students and building our pathway, artificial and pathway, artificial intelligence pathway at Kennedy High School, which we intend to be the region's leading pathway in, in Southern California, if not all, the entire state. But you know, I learned a little bit about, because uh, one of the assumptions is that things like coding are so important to artificial intelligence. And I think all of us were surprised to hear your answer.
1: <laughs> There's not that much coding involved when it comes to AI, right? Most of the coding is around building what we call the user experience, like the wrapper. But the technology itself, doesn't require much coding. We, most of these engines are built, and we get to use them, but the key thing when it comes to AI is more about the data and the training, right? And that's, that's, the, that's the secret sauce, so to speak.
0: So districts should be shifting to more um, sort of data analytics and understanding big data and these trends and what to make of that.
1: Now, that's right, because th- think about it this way, we take a lot of things for granted the way we think and operate, right? If I'm looking at like you at Mike right now, I'm trying to gauge how you might be feeling, right? It's very subconscious. But we also know that we can teach machines how to do this and tell it, Hey, Mike is, he's really concerned or he's sad or he's happy. But then we have to teach about body language and all the points on the face that, you know, re- reveal emotions. So it's understanding that nature and be able to teach that to the machine and showing the data of all these different, you know, emotional states, that's the key part here. So a lot of emphasis on understanding information is going to really be key to the future of work.
0: So, you know, for, especially for our young people, we have nearly 30,000 students, grade seven through 12, who I think, as they explore their career pathways, more and more are going to end up in artificial intelligence, right? Because it does connect across every domain. What what are some of the, you know, sort of job opportunities, real job opportunities do you see with young people? And uh, on the other side, where do you see jobs maybe disappearing, traditional jobs kind of disappearing?
1: Well, I'll, I'll start with the, the second part first, because unfortunately, a lot of jobs will eventually go away. Um, the UN actually estimates that the students in kindergarten today, by the time they graduate high school, 40 percent of the jobs that exist will be gone. Right. And the goal here is not to automate people out of work. It's just the nature of work is changing. And that's always happened throughout history. But that's why I think actually the students today have a huge superpower that guys my age don't. They're not married to the old ways of thinking and the old processes. And so they actually can tap into this you know, power of imagination and, and rethink about how things will actually work and find new better ways. And so it's going to be more complex work. It's going to be more high value work. There's going to be a lot of stuff around like philosophy and the arts. Right. If we're going to trust machines to make recommendations or decisions, we really need to be able to think through the different scenarios and all these different types of planning that, to be honest, historically, we as humans have not been great at. And so this, I think, is really the opportunity for the students today is to take those reins on and become, well, today they would be futurists, but really the creators of tomorrow.
0: You know, speaking of futurists, uh, many of us have read people like Yuval Noah Harari, who's talking about, you know, this sort of synthesis across different disciplines that artificial intelligence is is creating. Like, you know, biotechnology is one of them, or how do we deal with global warming? You need to have a more integrated approach to your thinking. And I love, uh, I know our, we have a lot of uh, VAPA people, visual and performing arts, who are concerned about the narrowing of the curriculum and pushing out the arts and sort of this imagine, imagination of young people. Do you want to go a little bit deeper in terms of why you think that uh, humanities end of the spectrum is so important as we enter into the age of artificial intelligence?
1: I generally believe that AI will help us be more human, and we're, we're seeing it. You know, it's this opportunity to explore the, the depths of humanity, I think, is really crystallized in a project in Nairobi, Kenya called Loving AI. It's probably not what people immediately think, but before the pandemic, the biggest illness in the world was loneliness. And about 40% of the world suffered from moderate to severe loneliness. And so these group of scientists and therapists- And that was
0: was before the pandemic.
1: That was before the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably a lot worse today. Um, They decide, could we teach AI? unconditional love can we give people an outlet a safe space let them build confidence not as a substitute for human relationships but to build up their ability to develop human relationships and as they went down this path they realized well what's unconditional love mean right we, we got to teach the machine how do we kind of define what this is and then but are there different forms of love right you get a the love between the two spouses and a parent and child and between friends and it led them down this really deep exploration of what it actually means to be human. And I think we're going to see more and more of this. In fact, when you talk about where the jobs of tomorrow will be, there's going to be a huge demand for life coaches and yoga instructors and, and therapists and stuff. It's going to be more around the nature of being human and our, and our life and our balance than ongoing trying to become a computer programmer. And I think that's a, a big part of why the arts are going to be so important because arts are so deeply connected to humanity. But we're also seeing that AI is fueling new forms of art. AI is a great way to motivate people to take action. And I think that for all the emphasis there is on STEM and rightfully so, it truly is more STEAM. It's really going to be a lot more on arts and philosophies that we really talk to something I actually mentioned in my book and and elaborate on why this is so important. But I think if we're going to get kids ready for the future of work, we really have to put more emphasis onto philosophy and the arts.
0: Well, that's going to go extremely well in our district where we (laughs) have a a very balanced approach to the curriculum and and offering uh, really strong arts programs, not only you know, traditional arts, but bringing in sort of that creative gene into traditional areas, because I think you're absolutely right uh, to unleash that innovation and creativity that America once prided itself has been kind of flattened with so much uh, sort of this standardized uh, testing world that we find ourselves in in 2021 here. And so America truly is at a crossroads. In terms of education, so it's great that you are uh, speaking for the arts. The other thing I think you and I have talked about briefly was the importance of um, cultivating teachers who know how to integrate across curricular areas. Could you touch on uh, that in terms of what your thoughts are?
1: Be happy to. And you no, know, I, I think teachers—they have a tough job, you know, given the everything going on. And I know that some of these things are challenging, but we want to become a little bit siloed, right? We kind of focus on, okay, I'm teaching math, and so I, I stick to the math domain. I'm teaching science, I stick to the science domain. I'm teaching art, so I'm teaching, you know. And as a result, we create all these verticals. Yes. But we don't talk about how they actually kind of meld together at times. And I think we talk about the ability to create future thinkers, create uh, creatives, and you know philosophers, it's the melding of these these different disciplines, it's the the synergy, if you will, that really unlock innovation, disruption, and opportunity. And we have to find more ways where we can kind of bridge the things together because you know teaching even as a you know professor at UC Irvine, you see it all the time that where the students wonder like, why why am I learning this stuff? I don't know how this fits into like if I'm a computer programmer, why am I learning linear algebra? right? And you take that like your your first year, and then your fourth year, you're taking these computer science classes where suddenly, like, oh, now you have to know linear algebra. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't pay attention in class often enough. And so not, not connecting those dots together like that and showing how this stuff actually applies in other domains and disciplines, I think, unfortunately, it does a disservice sometimes. So I think students, if they know why and they see the interlacing, I think it motivates them more to realize the value of the overall education.
0: Yeah, the ability to connect the dots. I think that is one of the, you know, foundational pieces of artificial intelligence, looking for patterns, right? And working with creating machines that can help identify these patterns, but you need humans to say, okay, what what exactly is going on here? You know, because I, I think we're at an age with with data, you know, um, that it's it, there's just too much data and we don't have the ability to connect the dots because there are too many dots out there, right? And it's very interesting as we look at sort of some of the leaders in these areas, Facebook and uh, Apple, I know there's uh, a little bit of, uh, it's interesting what some of the leaders of those companies are saying about the use of big data, sort of the ethical piece of that. Can we return back to the sort of ethical, big question about artificial intelligence. And for me, I see it kind of like with the nuclear bomb, right? Nuclear power could be used for good or bad. What are some of the, the dark sides that you see um, in this debate that's going on with artificial intelligence and how the, the data could be used in a, in a maybe a negative way and why uh, the ethics are so important?
1: Well, Unfortunately, there's a lot of power with AI, and so it's, it's not even necessarily misuse, but <laughs> we'll call it shady use that causes problems. So we've already seen where the AI has gotten so good in deciphering our behaviors and our in our language patterns that they can influence what we think and what we believe. And we've seen that appear, unfortunately, in how people are convinced to vote or things they believe in that may not be factual, like you look at some of the anti-vaxxers going on right now, uh, that you know they're getting fed a lot of this information that we know is just not rooted in truth, but they believe it as gospel. And this, unfortunately, is a testament that we get fed information so fast, and the al- algorithms learn based on this, or how people want to kind of push them to a point of view, that they keep reinforcing, they keep finding better and better ways to reinforce that idea. And you look at things like deep fakes, like, you know, they're, they're videos that they look like the person, sound like the person, same type of mannerisms. We've seen them with like President Obama, for example. And they're so good, it's hard to tell if that's really the person or not. And a lot of people wonder how they, they do this. Well, that's an AI that's been trained to fool other AI systems. So these are unfortunately, these bad actors can cause a lot of damage this way which really puts it on us to think about how, what, what is right use, what is ethical use, but create this mindset of, let's try and use the technology for good. Because most technologists, they, they think about what's the outcome, right? If I wanna do this, they don't think about the other ways the technology could be used or misused. And so if we don't, again, develop these philosophy in the arts mindset, we're never gonna realize these problems. I mean, if you'll indulge me for a moment, Mike, drone technology is great. A great example of this, right? Because we're used to being reactive. You fly a drone, okay, no problem. But what if that drone's over your backyard? Is that okay? What if the drone's taking pictures of your backyard? Is that okay? What if the drone's taking pictures of your kids, right? Young kids in the backyards, is that okay, right? No one ever went through all these things. As things happened, as people flew drones by airports, that's when, they're like, oh, wait a second, you know, and we change moving so fast and AI moves very fast. We can't afford to be reactive anymore. We have to be proactive and anticipate what might happen.
0: So, Neil, um, what happens if schools do not make the shift as AUHSD is attempting to do in terms of building these artificial intelligence pathways for young people? Like, a lot of uh, people that I know um, want, when this pandemic is over, want to go back to business as usual. Like that's what schools do, test score rates, test scores, that sort of thing. What do you think are the potential consequences if schools do not feel this urgency to make the shift?
1: I, I think it's going to exasperate the digital divide rift that's already going on, right? The, the haves and the have-nots and the skills for those jobs. You know, These are big drivers for income inequality. and schools don't start making some of these shifts, it's gonna widen that divide. And I know that a lot of people are hoping to go back to normal, but the truth is there is no normal to go back to. It's about getting ready for the next normal. And you can either be the passenger and ride along whatever happens, or you can be the driver and shape what that next normal will actually be. And having curriculum around emerging technology or getting students even some basic skills on AI, is a way to be a driver. So as we
0: close, I, I want to ask you, what, what is your driver? What, what, how does Neil Sahota end up being one of the national leaders and spokespeople for artificial intelligence? What, 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 what brought you to this whole field?
1: Probably pure accident. <laughs> now, I've always been the kind of guy that wants to solve problems and I'm very passionate about social good. And so I was, Look at technology as a way to accelerate some of those goals. And, you know, 15 years ago, there was a boost in business analytics and all these things about using data. And I had uh, working for a lot of people, like, you know, C level guys at Disney and Starbucks and all these saying, like, it's amazing what computers can tell us. And I'm like, well, computers aren't telling us anything, but could they? And that sent me down this path of, can could I could I create an AI system to help us crunch data and make smart decisions?
0: So you were part of the team uh, that with IBM that helped with the um, uh, um, with building the chess player, all these things, right? That have shown the promise of AI.
1: Well, yeah, but it wasn't chess. So I, I got based on my work, I got contacted by IBM R and D, and so I was part of the original IBM Watson team. So we did the Jeopardy challenge. Well, the Jeopardy challenge, that's right, yes. A lot of of people always wonder, well, isn't that easy? And it's like, well, again, think about how we talk, right? And there's a game where it's you give them the answer. You have to figure out the question. It's actually hard for a machine to do that. So that, Mike, was almost 10 years ago, which is why I always tell people AI is not the future. It's very much the present now.
0: Well, you know, the Jeopardy is all about learning how to uh, ask the right question, right? And, Neil, we're so blessed to have you asking the right questions right now. So on behalf of our 30,000 students and their families and uh, all the listeners out there, thank you, Neil. It's been a wonderful uh, 25 minutes or so conversation with you. Really appreciate it.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks, everybody.